All right. Well, I'm very grateful to be with you again today. And I was praying and thinking about what to share, and I started to think about the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, so, what I would like to do today is kind of do an introduction to that, and then as I am uh, privileged to speak before you in the coming months, I'd like to continue to talk about this important part of Scripture. Because as we are seeking to have our faith strengthened, as we are seeking to trust God fully as believers, I think we can learn a lot from the example of others. There's a lot in the Scriptures about the examples of what people did wrong, and thank God for that. We are under no illusions that there are perfect people apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when God sent the flood on the earth to wipe out and eradicate sin, we might have been persuaded that He fully succeeded unless until we read a couple chapters after the flood when Noah went into his vineyard and drank wine and become drunk and laid naked in his tent, thus revealing the need for even Noah, who was blameless in his generation, to have a Savior, to need salvation. And we were told when Noah is uh, rescued, we're, we're told that he was blameless in his generation, so we're, talk, we're told about his example to others. But the key phrase in Noah's life is not about his righteousness, but it's this, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And any one of us in this room, regardless of our past, regardless of where we are right now, can say that we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you have not yet found grace in His eyes, I pray and I hope that as we look at this today, you will begin the process of what that means to truly experience the grace of God. I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then we will begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for, again, this opportunity to open Your Word, to hear from You what You would have for us. We thank You so very much for the wonderful gifts that You bestow on us and for the ultimate wonderful gift of Your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we open the Word that Your Spirit would go forth in power, that You would take away anything that is of me and that You would replace it with that which is of You. Thank You for the privilege of being here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, well, we're going to start reading in Hebrews 11, verse 1. And this is a pretty familiar verse. At least the first verse here. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. 
through faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And this is really where I want to focus the bulk of my message today is this third verse where it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Some of you in this room are um, are crafty by nature, and by that I don't mean deceitful. I mean that you like to make things. And for most of us, for human beings, in order to make something, we have to have a starting point. We have to have a product, whether it be wood or plastic or whether it be, you know, berries for a pie, we have to have a beginning to our creation. God was not this way. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was nothing there. And yet, as we go through Genesis chapter 1, we find that gradually, day by day, through the word of his mouth, God formed everything that we so richly enjoy on this earth today. And the crowning achievement of his creation was mankind. And when he created Adam, he he realized that Adam would not be complete alone so he gave him a helper in Eve and after he had created all this he said that his creation was very good well I want to spend a few moments today talking about the word of God because I think there's significance in the fact that before God gets into telling us about the hall of faith that he's talking about the power of of the very Word of God. And I think sometimes we as Christians even call the Word of God into doubt. How, you say? I've run into Christians, well-meaning, who believe that the days in creation are actually representative of segments of time which took thousands of years. Now, I don't want to get into a huge debate, but I believe that when God says on the first day that He created such and such, and on the second day He created such and such, I believe those were days. Because the Word of God is powerful. And we're going to look at some examples of how the Word of God is powerful. If you're keeping notes, uh, my message is simply titled The Hall of Faith, Part 1. The first point which we just covered was the foundation of faith. So we talked about um, the importance of having faith. Now this faith, when I have faith in a human being, there's a certain measure of hope in the sense that I hope they come through. Now, obviously, if it's somebody that I've known a long time and have come to be trustworthy in my sight, then I have more faith in them than someone else. 
But when we talk about faith in God, we're talking about a definitive article because God always delivers what He says He's going to. But the primary part of our time today, we're going to be looking at examples in the Word of God of how God, through His Son Jesus, used His words to do amazing things. The first example we're going to look at is in John chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. John 5, starting in verse 7, it says, Then the impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And I want you to notice the next word. After and, he says, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on that same day was the Sabbath. Notice that it doesn't say over the process of time the man took up his bed and walked. No, it says immediately. A definite instant matter of time. As a matter of fact, if it, if it took a couple days for him to get up and walk, then the issue of it being the Sabbath on which he was healed would not have been an issue at all. Because he wouldn't have been fully healed until after the Sabbath, and then the Pharisees wouldn't have had anything to complain about. It's amazing that the Pharisees, even though the, the passage, if you go on later, it basically indicates that the man was crippled for about 30 years. So people knew that he was crippled. And then they knew that he was standing before them. But their primary concern was, why are you doing this? Why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? So we see that when Jesus says something, it comes to be. And, that, and that's really a primary component that all of these people that we're going to study, Lord willing, in the Hall of Faith had is that they believed God at His Word. Now some of them took some time to come to that realization. I think we all can relate to that in some respect. For me, after my salvation, there was a nine-year struggle where I said, Lord, I know where my eternal destination is. I'm grateful for my eternal destination, but you got the temporary one wrong. And if you had just not screwed this up, then I could do so much more for you. But God was patient, and He encouraged me, and He did not walk away from me. And because of that, I am now fully surrendered to what the Lord will do in my life as He wills. Now, there's a certain degree to which that has to be a daily surrender because I want to take back my life sometimes, even though when I'm in control, I never get it right. Not sometimes, never. So, I just wanted to encourage you with that. So, our first example 
is the impotent man. He didn't just gradually get better. It says when when Jesus said, Rise and walk, he rose and he walked. I don't know what that felt like, whether he felt the strength in his legs before he got up, or if he was completely acting on faith that if if this guy says I can get up, I can get up. But either way, he gets up and he walks. The second example that we're going to see here is the sick servant. Sick servant. And this is from... This is found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. So if you want to turn there. Matthew 8, starting with verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, My servant layeth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. I can only imagine being in the crowd that day and this this wasn't a Jewish person. This wasn't someone that, that knew the law, that knew the stories ostensibly of how God created the world and how He delivered the children of Israel from bondage. This was somebody who was in leadership in Rome who the people of Israel were underneath. And yet this man understood by divine intervention that Jesus was the Son of God. And he says, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, That many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed the selfsame hour. 
Now there's a couple of things that I wanted to draw out here. First of all, the fact that even before Jesus made clear to Peter in Acts that the way of salvation was going to be made available to Gentiles, he was already giving hints to the fact that he came for everyone. And he responded to the centurion because of the centurion's faith. This centurion had so much faith that he said, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. Can you imagine what it must have been like for that centurion? And I I don't know if Matthew sat down with him afterwards and was hearing this account, but for him to go back home and to find out that his servant was healed and then he's like, okay, when did this happen? And then they tell him. And he remembers that at that exact hour, Jesus told him to go his way and his servant would be healed. See, Jesus doesn't mess around. When he says something, it happens. And this is important. Why? Because Jesus is the one who told us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. The same Jesus who said, your servant will be healed, says to us, your sins are forgiven. And if I can't believe that Jesus can heal by the word of his mouth, how can I believe his word when he says that I can be saved for all eternity? Another thing I wanted to bring out here is what he says here when he says, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in in Israel. There were probably Pharisees around there because they tended to follow Jesus just to see what would happen next. Can you imagine? These Pharisees, they spend all their life studying the Torah, studying the Old Testament prophets. Yet they missed the whole point of what the prophets were saying. And so for them to hear from Jesus that that they don't have faith, That must have been really tough for them to take. And he says this, But the children of the kingdom will be cast into darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus came first of all to the lost sheep of Israel, and he loves Israel. They're his chosen people. And we should pray for Israel because we need to love Israel too because he does. But you know what? He's saying to them, you're my, you, you're my chosen people, but if you will not come to me, then you're going to be cast into outer darkness. Because there's only one way. And that's through me. And this centurion gets it. That's what he was saying. It's kind of interesting that the greatest faith he found in that area was in a Gentile. 
And then it's also just really interesting with the centurion. He understood the way a chain of command works. Because he was the head of a hundred soldiers. And so he knew that if he told them to do something, they would do it. They would risk their very lives if they chose not to. So he understood what authority meant. And he knew that Jesus' words were powerful. I don't know if he had a ways to go and this was the same centurion that was on that hillside in Calvary, but it would be an interesting thing to find out in the future whether or not that was the case. I tend to believe it's not the same guy because when your servant's healed and that big thing happens then hopefully your life is changed forever. But we will have the answers to those questions when we get to heaven. So, my question to you is, are you going to have the faith to believe Jesus? To take Him at His word? Are you going to be one of those Gentiles that comes from the east and the west and sits down one day with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven? I think those first thousand or two thousand years, we know what we know, it won't be timed. But that that for the first however long it's going to be so fun because all these Bible characters that we read about in the scriptures are going to be there and I, I hope that they allow us to sit down with them and hear the accounts firsthand of how God worked in their life I'm interested to meet the Apostle Paul particularly to hear about Damascus in person And then, I have one more story to talk about. And then we'll have our conclusion. This is the story that's a a favorite of my brother Al, Braidaway. And it's the story of blind Bartimaeus. And this story is found in Mark 10 verses 46 to 52 Mark 10 verses 46 to 52 you know I was discussing with my mom what she thought about the name Bartimaeus because it seems like it would be a good name for your child to live up to and you'll see why in a minute I don't know how it would be received by most people because it's fairly unusual, but at least it's pronounceable, which is a big, uh, which is of big importance when you're going to name your children. So we'll see what the Lord does in my future. But uh, here we go. In uh, Mark 10:46, it says, "And they came to Jericho, and as he went." out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people 
blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. And they charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And he answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Bartimaeus is an interesting character. We don't know a lot of his backstory. We just know that he was blind. And we know that when Jesus came along, he had heard of the things that Jesus had done in the past and he wanted Jesus to intercede in his life. By calling him the son of David, he was already showing him respect. And uh, as we look at this account, we just see a couple really interesting things. First of all, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, do you think he just said that in a normal tone of voice? I, I've thought about this a lot, actually, because sometimes when we when we pray, we're afraid to cry out to God. We want to be all prim and proper, so we, we say words and we mean them. I'm not saying we don't mean them, but we say words and we hope that God hears us. But Bartimaeus wanted to leave no doubt. And so he cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is displaying faith here that Jesus can do something about his present situation. That's a first step for all of us if we want to come to Christ. Is to believe that Jesus can make a difference in our life. I sit before you as a living testimony that Jesus can make a difference in a life. And what Jesus did for me, He can do for you. No, He didn't heal me physically. But one day, He's going to. And when He does, it's going to be a glorious day, an exciting day. But He did change my heart. And that is far more important than having a changed body. 
And the people, they were probably embarrassed by him. He's this beggar. They probably pass him every day on the street. They kind of probably had this idea that we're more important than you and and you really shouldn't yell that loud because you're embarrassing us. But uh, he cried the more a great deal. Can you imagine? I, I think I've actually seen this with, with different little kids or whatever. You, you tell them to be quiet and they tend to get louder sometimes. And this is what Bartimaeus is doing because he's determined to get the attention of Jesus. And it's interesting, with all the people around him and with all the people that he passed by, that Jesus heard the cry of Bartimaeus and he responded. And so, Bartimaeus rises to come to Jesus. And what's the first thing he does? He cast away his garment. You know, in order for us to come to Jesus and be truly used of Him, we have to throw away our sin. We have to be willing to shed our sin. To get rid of ourselves. To throw ourselves off the throne. And not have any encumbrance. And Jesus answered and said to him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, let me just point out something here. In this particular case, Jesus doesn't even touch Bartimaeus. He simply says, Go thy way. Your faith has made you whole. And then it says, Immediately he received his sight. And there could have easily been a period there, but I'm so glad there wasn't. Because it goes on to say, immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. When you receive salvation from Jesus Christ and it's the genuine article, by grace, through faith, you can't help but following him in the way. Because he's the greatest master you could ever have. He makes life exciting in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. And we sung in the worship meeting, in the breaking of bread, about how no eye has seen or ear has heard what God has prepared for those that love Him. So as great as the Christian life is here on earth, it's going to get even better when we leave this earth. So it's really a win-win-win situation. I want to share this quote from George Mueller. He said, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. 
Faith begins where man's power ends. George Mueller. And I think sometimes we we have these goals that may be God-given, these dreams that may be God-given. But, and I know this is true in my life, so this is why I'm saying it, but we, we seek to fulfill God's will through our own efforts. And what Paul, what George Mueller is saying in this quote is that faith doesn't operate in the realm of the possible. Abraham was told that he would be the heir of hundreds, that he wouldn't be able to count his descendants. And yet, he was 99 and Sarah was 90 and there were no children. So he decides to take matters into his own hands and we've had international struggle and warfare ever since. Then, as if that weren't enough, when he finally has Isaac, Isaac's wife is barren. This doesn't seem like it's getting off to a good start with this whole uh, many descendants and uh, greater than any nation thing going on. And yet God in His providence allowed that the next generation would form the twelve tribes of Israel. And Israel is a great nation to this day. Because you see, God keeps His promises. In conclusion, I just want to read the um, next three verses of Hebrews 11. And I hope that as we have looked at these stories of the power of God's Word, this casts new light on what we are, Lord willing, about to study in this chapter. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. I think that's interesting. You know, we all leave a legacy. Some people, their legacy is in the Bible for thousands and millions and millions of people to read. Some people's legacy is just within their family, but regardless of where your legacy is, you will leave one. So what kind of one are you leaving? What's going to speak for you after you're dead? It's a good question to ask ourselves as we go about our week this week. This next verse is about my dad's Bible hero. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. If the only thing that's said about you after you die is that you pleased God. You will have lived a successful life. We think about all these other measures of success. We think about 
money and wealth and fame and all this stuff. And Paul says, you have brought nothing with you into the world and you will surely bring nothing out. But if at the end of your life people can stand up and testify of you, he pleased God or she pleased God, then you will be the most successful person there ever was. Um, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As I close, I just want to think about this thought. That God is so great that the best way to sum it up is that He is. Because anything that's important, God is. God is love. God is justice. God is mercy. God is peace. God is patience. God is kindness. God is judgment. Anything that's important, God is. So, the important thing to remember is that God is, and to believe that He is. And that he will reward those who diligently seek him. My prayer for you and for me is that we would even more diligently seek him. That we would not limit the power of God. That we would realize that by the very word of his mouth, he created the world where there was nothing. And that by the very word of his mouth, he healed the lame, the blind, and he even raised the dead. Think about this. When Jesus raised Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He called him by name. I heard one commentator say that the importance of him calling Lazarus by name is who knows how many other people might have come out if he had simply said the words, come forth. So he had to be specific. Because that is the power of the God with which we have to do. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will bless it to our lives, that you will help us to be changed people in and out. Help us to maintain an excitement for you. Help us to realize those things that stand in the way of that and to purge them gently from our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.